coach would always say to us, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I say, no, no way. Like it's, it's always different, but it was true. It was, how do you show up in the aspects of your life when it may not be going well for you? That is who you are at the core. And if you fight that every single day, because it's who you want to be, whether it's being recognized or not, then you you will step into to greatness in that element and in your role. It may not look like everyone else's, but you are ultimately putting your best foot forward in everything that you do, and that will always pay off. And when I talk about attention to detail, I mention that because there was nothing that they didn't notice. So whether it was or it wasn't, being able to understand how a player develops, even when you think no one is watching, they were. <laughs> and so I think they, they watched everything. And so I, I think that was a huge, huge part um, of one saying, there's not no work that I'm going to do that goes unnoticed. And second, I'm doing this work for myself, for the future, for the person I want to be. Um, and again, creating those habits of success, um, whether you think they're being recognized or not, mm-hmm. I think is really, really important for people to understand because it will always, it will always pay off. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring European professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the United States. We'll talk about the ups and the downs, the pros and the cons. We'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics. I'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it. Buenos dias from Madrid, and welcome back everyone to this week's episode on another season in the books. The last time I published an interview in English, I believe I told you all that I had been in quarantine. Well, After 32 days, I finally tested negative and have been given the permission to return to my team. Praise the Lord and hallelujah, because staying at home every day and being separated from social interaction is tough. And because playoffs have started and my team has work left to do. So March Madness is an exciting time, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that today's interview gets me all riled up just the same. So much so that I was clapping and fist pumping while listening to this professional athlete speak her truth. She's only 24 years old. And when I tell you that she speaks with the same amount of wisdom as my great aunt who is 101, I am not exaggerating. Batuli Kamara is impacting the world in tangible, positive ways through sport. She is challenging cultural norms and giving young girls in Guinea the chance to fight for their dreams. She's on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. She played basketball at UConn. She has started her own foundation, written a children's book, given a TEDx talk, and so much more. So with no further ado, here she is. The humble, confident, well-spoken, poised, kind, smart, and so on and so forth, Batuli Kamara. Good evening, Batuli Kamara. Thank you so much for uh, meeting up with me today. And um, welcome to the podcast. And just how are you? What's going on? 
I, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me in this in this awesome opportunity. Well, it's my pleasure. And um, I think your story is amazing and it deserves to be heard on you know all corners of um, of the world. So this is really a highlight of my day um, to be able to talk to you and ask you some questions. But first one being just what's your first memory? Um, what's your first sports memory growing up as a little kid? My first sports memory would be when I remember passing by a park. And at this time, I, I feel like now that I look back, I've had flashes and instances of, of my brother playing. But but this memory just sticks out to me um, and is so vivid and so clear. It was when I saw a girl and I thought she was the tallest girl in the world. And she had, um, you know, these jeans on and she was playing basketball. And I approached her and I said, where did you get your jeans from? Again, I was 11 years old, but I was like, this is my main concern. Um, <laughs> where did you get jeans that go to the bottom of the floor? Like that, I have to know now. And um, I remember she told me and she just started laughing and she's like, you're pretty tall. You should start playing. And I just remember how wholesome that experience was and just shooting with her and um, just talking about life. And her mom was there and it was just such a such a fun experience for me. And like I said, just something that was so vivid and so clear in my mind till today. I feel like I'm still looking for long enough jeans. <laughs> it is a lifelong search. You know, I need to go back and figure out what she actually told me. Uh, was the company that she, and I look back, she's actually like six too, but at the time she felt like a giant to me. And, yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if you've bought any jeans here in Spain, but yes, it is, it is not easy. And I'm like, I'm not even, I mean, I'm tall, but there are definitely women taller than I am, but, um, but that's a whole nother story. Okay. So that is great that this uh, girl just showed up in your life. Would you say then you said your brother played. So would you say that you came from a sports oriented family? I actually, now that I look back, I would say that I do. My older sister played basketball. Um, and then my older brother played basketball and football. And my younger sister does as well. And um, now that I'm older, my mom's like, you guys definitely got it from me because I played soccer. And we're like, since when? Um, but, but definitely, as I look back, I would say I, I do come from a sports family and uh, amazing, amazing individuals. Okay. Yes. My mom never played a day in her life, but she claims that um, we got our athletic ability from her. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Because <laughs> yeah. I was reading, I was reading, you know, about you on the internet and different interviews. And um, I read that, you know, your parents came to the United States from Guinea and your dad was a doctor and your mom was kind of like a businesswoman. Um, but it sounded like they weren't entirely into the sports world or like that environment. And so it just, um, it, it's just very interesting to me to think about you and just your career and how far basketball has taken you. And I can't help but wonder like what was when you got your college scholarship or when colleges started uh, recruiting you, like what was going through your mom's head or your dad's head, you know? At, at that time, uh, my mom was very reluctant, you know, to let me play. It was just not a feasible route to success to them. You know, it was education and, you know, just pursuing that at the highest level and getting a great job and, you know, getting married. And, and that was the highlight and the pinnacle of, of one's life. And they didn't see any other route 
um, of success outside of academics. And so for me, it was when I turned 14 and was, and had the opportunity to go to boarding school. And I had the opportunity to go to Blair Academy. And I remember the conversation with my mom and my brother, who was my biggest ally at that time. And again, many coaches and mentors that I have, one in particular, Shanae, sitting down with my mom and saying, this is a $60,000 opportunity to a boarding school, a high school, she's 14 years old. She will receive a top education coupled with sports. What an incredible opportunity. And, and to add on to that, an opportunity to receive a scholarship to go to college for free. And that was the selling point, you know, <laughs> academic, academics coupled with sports. And when you put it that way, my mom was like, okay, she's very understanding. And I just remember um, her coming to my game my senior year. And I was just at the free throw line. I always tell the story because it's so funny to me. I was at the free throw line and this is her first time seeing me play. And at this point, I've already committed to the University of Kentucky. And I missed the free throw and she comes to me. She's like, you've been playing basketball for four years. You've been at this high school for four years. And I think that you wouldn't miss that free throw. You always tell me you're going to practice. I didn't think you'd be going to practice. Like my biggest critic at this point, someone who didn't even, you know, was like reluctant to let me play. And now my, my biggest critic at this point. And it was just such a wholesome moment uh, for us to share. My mentors there were laughing. We're like, this is definitely how it turns. And um, from there, the biggest, biggest advocate for me and for all the young girls who want to play sports and have reluctant parents. She had high expectations. Oh my goodness. She's like, <laughs> like, you tell me you're always in the gym and you missed the free throw. It went to the left. And I was like, that's the game. And she's like, I don't know. You always tell me you're going to practice. I don't know what you're doing in practice. You need to figure it out. And I was like, oh my God. That's hilarious. That's yeah. so funny. Um, and this is all like a different world to me because boarding schools, I feel like are more popular maybe on the East coast. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm from Minnesota. So I, I just, I can't think of very many if any, in Minnesota. Um, and so did they recruit you to go there? Like, did they, I don't know how they found out about you, but that is, wow, $60,000 for a high school education. Goodness. A year. <laughs> oh, a, a year. year. A year. A year. Holy <laughs> yes. And so, um, a huge opportunity. And, and for that, there are many boarding schools and, um, you know, some of which people know now are the, are the IMGs where the WNBA bubble was, was held. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, th those academic institutions and, and they just do an, an incredible job. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you start there when you're 12 or 14? So, so they do, they have programs. So the program that I was a part of was called Inspiring Young Minds, and they work with inner city kids uh, to, to offer them opportunity through sports um, you know, to attend, obviously you have to get into the schools. It's a very long and um, rigorous academic process. You know, you have to take testing to get into these schools. So it, it is an, it is a full process. And, and this organization just kind of walks you through that and, and um, just does their best to support you in that process and that application process. Okay. And they, we went on about an eight school tour across the tri-state. So, you know, from Kent to, to Loomis and, and different boarding schools across the tri-state. And they have two, they have middle schools who start as young as, I want to say 10 um, boarding schools. And then they also have high schools. Um, so yeah, I, 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 my mom was never going to let me go to middle school to a boarding school, but was definitely more open when I was applying to high school. Yeah. I mean, sounds like an opportunity 
kind of of a lifetime. I mean, that's, that's more expensive than like a college education in some, in a lot of schools. Um, Okay. So you're, you're at Blair Academy and then you get, I'm assuming your junior, senior year, like college coaches start looking at you. And um, what was that process like? Because I know for a lot of the young girls and boys that might be listening to this podcast, the recruiting process can be overwhelming, confusing, um, difficult. And so how did you handle all of that? I would say I had an amazing support system who early on trained me for that time. And so what that looked like was a a lot of self-reflection and my mentor, Shanae Jones, who was actually my first basketball coach, um, would just tell me, you need to go soul searching. You need to figure out who you are. And I realized now that I look back, once you go soul searching, you're able to kind of reflect in a different way, see what you really want and have more transparent conversations with the people who love you. Again, that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's comfortable, but those conversations are able to happen. And I think there's so much growth and, you know, just necessary things that need to be said in those conversations. And so for me, that self-reflection process happened really early on in the journey of soul searching. Who was I as a player? You know, how would I write my own scouting report? How would I guard me? What do I want to say at the end of my college career? And from that, I had a lot of friends who, who came back and would constantly talk to me about their experience. And they would say, this was my college experience. And I realized you choose your school based on what you want. You know, and so some people say, I want to go to a party school. That's fine. And that was the the choices I was reflected. Some, I wanted to get an amazing education. Maybe that was in the Ivy Leagues and that was reflected in their decision. Some wanted to compete for a national championship every year and that was reflected in their decision. And so that was kind of how it was, it was packaged to me. You know, who are you and what do you want from your college experience? Because it will be what you want it to be and, and what you make it outside of basketball. What do you want that experience to be? And so once that was kind of the conversations we were having my freshman year, once the college process started, it was stressful. It's always stressful. I'm going to make the worst decision of my life as a young person. This is the end, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to be, going to make a, you're going to make a decision. It won't be the worst decision of your life. And if not, you can transfer now and, and everything will be fine. Um, but, but I would say really having those conversations with coaches and figuring out where you want to see yourself. What do you want to make of your college experience and talking to coaches, seeing what they've done and talking to alumni is, is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's usually how the process was for me. Yeah. Talking to coaches, however, can be difficult because I feel like they are very good talkers and they oftentimes tell you exactly what you want to hear. Um, but so did you go on your official visits or did you decide without you did? I went on unofficial visits, um, and I went on about four and the only official visit I took was to the University of Kentucky. Um, and, I, and I took unofficial visits to, to UConn and to other places, but UConn, uh, Kentucky was the only official visit I took. And I was so exhausted. I was like, oh my gosh, how do people do five? I was, I was absolutely exhausted and I canceled everything and I just committed. <laughs> like, that's it. I was one of those, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just committing right now. Um, you know, and, and so that was a funny process. <laughs> yeah, I hear you because it's like a full weekend and it's packed. Yeah. And then you think about doing that five times and it's a lot. And yeah, it's definitely in the beginning. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I get to be wined and dined for five trips. But then after I think I took two and one of them was in my home state. So it was like, I, I'm done. I, I know I'm done. Um, okay. So you end up saying yes to Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. 
and you go there for your first year. Um, and at the end of that year, at some point you decide that you want to try again and go through the transfer process. Um, how would you say your mentality or, um, I'm sure you were much more mature after one year of college and just maybe your values, your wants, needs changed a little bit. What was going through your mind in that second opportunity and how did you then decide on a second, the second school? It was going back to, to my core principles that I think was key. And as I mentioned, I think that self-actualization process was so important. It was, what do I need? What do I want? And a few things on my top five were, I wanted to go to uh, an institution with a strong culture. I wanted alumni who came back. I wanted to compete um, every every single year uh, for a national championship. And a strong, like I said, a strong culture was huge to me. And another part that was really a, an honest moment for me, I felt like I went to boarding school. I was prepared to be away, but I didn't know how much distance played a role in that. You know, and so distance and, and all these factors that really, um, were a bit clear to me in the second time around that that was really important. So even in my second time around, it was only limited to the tri-state area because that was important to me. That was a new value that I hadn't looked into or I didn't think was important until my first experience being that far away. Mm-hmm. And, and what I say to a lot of people, once, you know, UConn made that offer, it was not about leaving, you know, Kentucky. It was about leaning into the new opportunities. And that's what I think, you know, we, we always hesitate about in, in regards to transferring, but it's like, this is, it wasn't a negative for me. And that was how my support system kind of presented to me. It wasn't, it wasn't a negative. It was a way to open doors to new opportunities um, and into, to lean into new things and to, to discover yourself in a new way and challenge yourself in a new way. And that was going to be great. That's a great uh, mindset to have. And I feel like that's so mature. And so I don't know, very deep. Um, but I like that. And Yukon is not a, it's not a bad place. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for you to choose Yukon, I'd say that's uh, not too shabby of a decision. Um, so what was the adaptation process like for you, maybe even in your freshman year, but in your, um, did you rent shirt your, I think you did, right? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that adaptation process just to the college game, like workouts on the court, off the court, in the classroom, because this podcast is called Another Season in the Books, which means, you know, like another season come and gone and then another season studying while still playing. And um, being a Division One athlete at a school like UConn that goes postseason every year, um, it's just probably very busy. You probably have a lot of um, what I want to say um, events and different things to go to as well, uh, responsibilities. So how did you juggle all of that? Again, again, I feel like I continue to go back to Blair, but Blair was really, really helpful in preparing us to be ready for those opportunities and transitioning into college. Um, when you're at Blair, you have a full-time schedule, you know, activities, they, you know, have study hall hours in place for you. Wi-Fi shuts off of your dorm when you're a freshman at like 10 PM. And so you really learn the importance of time management, how valuable your time is and, um, what you decide to, to, to spend, you know, 
on your time like what do you decide to do in a day and how productive can you be and so for for me it was the same in college how can I maximize the days that I have and I don't watch tv I always thought everyone that I don't watch tv I don't listen to music it was a lot of podcasts it was a lot of books how can I make this um really just a, a maximum experience. And, and for that, I always say to people, you know, another season in the books, don't let a season pass you. And we constantly say, trust the process. But but to us, that means put your head down and work. Yes, you know, that that is the essence of it. But also look up, you know, be present in the process. Make sure that you're learning what you have to in order to get to the next level um, of where you want to be. And so for me, the balance was in staying present. What do I need? You know, having people around me who want to have those conversations, who wanted me to grow holistically and, and to put goals in place um, and to fight to create habits to achieve them, I think was really, really important. And so that was kind of where the balance lie. What do I need to pour into this week? Um, and how can I have conversations when I can't make this or I can't do this right now? Um, but, but the priority was definitely, you know, the team and in that aspect, but having people around us who, who really told us the why, you know, this is why you're doing this. This is why it's important. This is how we're structuring it. What do you think about that? I think was, was really helpful in that approach as well. Um, shout out to some of your past teammates, because being from Minnesota, when I looked you up, shout out. I saw the roster. I was like, oh my gosh, Tuli played with Nafisa and with Crystal Dangerfield. Um, yeah. So, wow, what an experience. I mean, we could talk about this forever and I want to get into other things, but like, what an experience to be at UConn, to be surrounded by such amazing basketball players. And then on top of that, to be coached by this world-renowned um, coach who's been in the game for, I don't even know how many years. I think he just turned, what, like 67 I yeah. think I saw on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and just the impact that a coach can have as well um, is, which can be very positive or can be very negative. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming your, your experience was positive, but um, at the same time, very difficult because he probably has his expectations, like, you know, higher than your mom's maybe. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, they might be competing actually. No. <laughs> no. His, yeah, he, his um expectations, yeah, are definitely very high for everyone. Yeah. How do you um how do you have the mental toughness to get through all of that as like a young college athlete? Especially if maybe you're not getting that much playing time. Like, how do you wake up every morning with the motivation, with the desire? Like what gets you through your days? I love this question. I spend days on end thinking about this question because I think it's so important for young people to know. And I always said to myself, if I were ever to write a book, um, like, a, like a longer book, it would be called How to Work and Clap for Yourself. You know, how to work, you know, just, just in, in silence. And I think that is really important. And one thing about playing at UConn was attention to detail. It was impeccable. It was something that even till today, I look back and that, I'm like, that was an experience. That was, you know, such, that was difficult. And we, and we always have this quote that says, tough times don't last what tough people do. And to those people that you mentioned, they were amazing players, but also incredible people who wanted you to trust them who who fought to build trust and who showed up in your life in every aspect and i think that's where um 
a huge part of that experience was for me when I look back, being able to, to have friends and to be able to build trust mm-hmm. um, with incredible individuals on and off the court, I think is a huge, huge aspect of that. And so uh, another aspect in regards to what, what you just mentioned is, you know, going back to that book, it would be, coach would always say to us, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I say, no, no way. Like it's, it's always different, but it was true. It was, how do you show up in the aspects of your life when it may not be going well for you? That is who you are at the core. And if you fight that every single day, because it's who you want to be, whether it's being recognized or not, then you, you will step into to greatness in that element and in your role. It may not look like everyone else's, but you are ultimately putting your best foot forward in everything that you do and that will always pay off. And when I talk about attention to detail, I mentioned that because there was nothing that they didn't notice. So whether it was or it wasn't, being able to understand how a player develops, even when you think no one is watching, they were. <laughs> and I think they, they watched everything. And so I, I think that was a huge, huge part um, of one saying, there's not no work that I'm going to do that goes unnoticed. And second, I'm doing this work for myself, for the future, for the person I want to be. Um, and again, creating those habits of success, um, whether you think they're being recognized or not, mm-hmm. I think is really, really important for people to understand because it will always, it will always pay off. Yeah. It isn't will. that, isn't that the truth? I feel like college coaches have eyes in the back of their heads. They like, know- how did you do that? how did you just see with that (laughs) (laughs) they know everything on the court off the court um and I do enjoy I really enjoy listening to what you just said because at the end of the day I think it's difficult to do what you just said but at the same time we do have the choice during the day with all the different decisions we make um and I think it is it's possible to start you know little by little making those decisions. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, and did you know what you wanted to major in when you started college? I changed my major four times, <laughs> but, but I felt like it was, it always aligned, you know, initially I went into it. Uh, I wanted to do social work. I just love being around kids. I was, you know, very passionate about service. So I went into social work. And then after that, I was like, okay, well, maybe I want to do international business. Um, And again, it probably still would have been very, you know, youth-centered in in that area of service. And then again, I switched to, I think I was undecided. I I still call that a major. I was exploring and then going into sport management. And, And that was one of those decisions where you always make a decision. And then everyone around you, everyone around you is like, I knew you're going to make that decision. You're like, really? Like, I never saw this coming. And everyone in your life is like, this makes total sense. And I was like, it made no sense to me at the time. Um, but now that I look back, you know, it was all in the area of service. And now just being able to combine that uh, with sports was just uh, the right match for me. Well, so you did sports management. Um, and then as I was looking, you know, investigating about you online, it was very evident right away that you started a foundation. And I believe you started Wake in 2017? Yes. So were you still in school, obviously? I was going into my junior year of college, yes. (laughs) So this really blows my mind because you were a student athlete at a division one university. You were in school, and like you said, at Blair Academy, I'm sure at UConn, you also, your days were like planned out from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to bed, let alone you had the time to start a foundation. 
Like, how does that even happen? How does that work? Where do you find the time to do this? As I mentioned, um, during that time, I just vividly remember minimal naps. There was not a lot of naps being taken during that time. Um, but just maximizing our days. Like if you just wake up an hour earlier, you have an hour of productivity. And so that was my goal. And what people don't understand is during that time, I was getting about 10 hours of sleep. And I was, I read um, a few books, you know, Getting Things Done by David Allen, you know, How to Better Organize Your Time, To-Do List. And I figured what works for me. I think in this day and age with information overload, we constantly think this is going to work for me. It may not. Figure out what works, you know, try it out every day. And so I figured out, you know, what works for me. I work better in the morning. Okay, how can I maximize that time? If I have a free period, where are spaces where I am the most productive or who can I go? Like, where can I go? And so what I did was I set out a list of, um, and asking for support is really important. And so for me, that that focus during that time was, who do I think can assist me in this? Who can support me? Who knows about the nonprofit sector? And being at a university, you have access to so many different things. Okay, if I have an hour of free time, if I schedule a meeting ahead of time, a month in advance, most likely I'm going to make it. You know, I'm probably not going to cancel. And so I scheduled, you know, a ton of meetings ahead of time and just would meet with different professors in, in different areas at UConn or students who were brilliant, who had nonprofits or would just you know, go on, go online and look at YouTube videos during that time and, and, and just setting that out and just making the, the most of the time that was available, honestly. Um, and like I said, during that time, I was really getting 10 hours of sleep a night. And so it was just maximizing the day, cutting out TV, cut it, I, I deleted my social media um, and, and just really, really focusing in. So that's, that was, that was the key to that, that year. I like, I, just, I applaud you. That is amazing. It's amazing. And for everybody listening who doesn't know, WAKE stands for Women and, Ch and Kid Empowerment. Correct. I was going to say children. I always want to say children, but it's kid. Women and Kids Empowerment. Um, and it's interesting to me because not everybody in this world has an appreciation for sports per se. And some people probably think that sports are silly or it's like they're pointless. You're just running up and down the floor trying to put this ball in a basket. Like, what's the point of that? Um, but then there are people like you who use sport to, we could say, change the world. Um, what, tell us about Wake and what your goals are and what you're doing, because this is really um, taking sports to a whole different level and giving sport meaning. I mean, this is, this is real life, tangible stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I always say, say to people, and I run into a lot of people who are, are very, you know, quick to undermine the work that you do, you know, especially in sport. And that's both in working in sport and being an athlete. You know, I've had to change my vocabulary from going to practice to going to work. This is, and my brother actually put it in such a beautiful way. He said, this is a billion dollar industry. You're going to work. You are not going to practice. And I was like, that is so true. And you look at the youth in industry, which is a trillion dollar industry today and youth sports alone globally, um, or that just might be in the United States. And so this is a real functioning business, you know, and we cannot talk about society without talking about sports. Why are politicians at games? You know, that's that's politics, that's war, that's race relations, that's gender equity. There's there's nothing that isn't 
in sport as I always think sport is a microcosm for the world that we live in. And so that's usually you know, what I tell people there. Um, why do you wear that shirt? Why are you a fan? You know, why does, why do you bond over that? You know, there's so many different things that we think about um, in sport just as building community. And, and for me, um, in terms of sport and, and, you know, impacting the world, it was, it was always about my younger self. You know, I talk about those vivid moments in sports and people who have helped me along the way. It was being able to give in and to say, I would not be where I am today without that opportunity. And women and kids empowerment, you know, WIG, we work to empower young girls to education, sport, and social entrepreneurship programming. That's our goal, but it, it always looks different. And it's always dynamic. It's always fun. Um, and that's what we want it to be. We want it to be from the community, from the girls to say, what do you envision? What do you want? You know, times are changing um, and being able to, to work and, and listen to those that um, you're serving is so, so important. And so for me, it, it's just saying, I wouldn't be where I am without those who supported me. And at the moment we're working to create adequate, adequate safe spaces. And so in New York, you'll go and you'll turn a corner and you'll see hoops everywhere. Um, just, just along the United States, you'll see these amazing facilities and in Guinea um, still an indoor basketball court, you know, fully, fully efficient, you know, with, with air conditioning is not there. Um, and creating adequate safe spaces for kids to play outside is a main focus for us in 2021. Uh, because I've realized when kids have these courts and you put a few people who are passionate about that and you create well-intentioned intentional design programs um, that support kids for to play, to learn and to gather and to build community, you are doing something special that is not in your hands, but com completely community-based is what you want. So that's kind of our, our main focus this year is to create adequate safe spaces and to work with community members um, to engage in programming on those courts. And, and that's initially our focus was doing camps, but that's not sustainable. I love camps. And unless you're doing it every year in that same place, you know, that's important. But right now, focusing on Guinea and, um, you know, with low community mem members to, to build court and to build community. Mm -hmm. That was super long winded. But yeah, that's kind of the overarching answer for that. No, no, I, I love it. And um, I love hearing about it. I saw some pictures online. I don't know if they were your courts. I think they were maybe, but they were very colorful. Um, so I don't know if you, if your courts will be like that or not, but they were just, they were cool looking. I'm trying to think whose courts those were. They're um, all over the place. Honestly, they're, um, I think the one that I posted was, it might've been Carmelo Anthony's and there've been a few. Yeah. His is really, really colorful. And, yeah. and that's what you love. Like, you know, it attracts, you know, the, those who you want and good energy and good vibes and, you know, stress relievers, which I think is so important, especially when you look at, you know, COVID and, and now and kids just not having the ability to play. I think that's just so, so important. You know, education is there, but just the ability to play is, is really yeah. crucial. But what, what I really liked about Wake, and I, I watched your TEDx talk, um, is just the idea of empowering young girls in Guinea through sport. Because I know in my life that sport, working out, having muscles, um, running up and down the floor, feeling fit, strong, working as a team, like seeing myself improve makes me feel good and makes me feel confident. Um, and for these young girls in Guinea, who I think you said in a, in a talk that I listened to that when they grow up, they're kind of just thinking in maybe three different things, like yeah. being a wife, um, maybe having a job and probably having children, or 
if that's yeah. more or less what you said. And, um, and now you're giving these young girls opportunities to think kind of beyond that. And it get like, it makes me emotional. I mean, you're really having an impact. You're touching the lives of these young women, um, maybe even kind of going against cultural norms in, in Guinea, which is very brave of you, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, how, if people listening to this want to get involved or want to contribute, um, where can they go? What can they do? Can they buy merchandise? Because I've seen some really cool t-shirts. Yes, we will definitely um, be, be starting to, to sell merchandise. And at this moment, um, the, the children's book that, you know, we, we were able to write last year, which works, um, which highlights a beautiful, diverse group of girls with unique and amazing abilities um, is one way as all of the proceeds go directly to our programming. Uh, the second is as we're building a court right now in Guinea Conakry in a place where, you know, there's so many kids in this area and, and really creating this adequate safe space and, and a year of programming, um, for, for them is really what we're focusing on and through a crowdfunding campaign with team up and that link is in my bio and just following our website for for up to for dates and, and updates and, and things that we're working on camps that we're we're working to do um, is definitely another source as well and so that's wake-academy.org so that's the three I'd say the first is in terms of purchasing um, the children's book as all the proceeds go directly to programming uh, the basketball court building in our partnership with team up and just just visiting our website and staying up to date. The book is a basketball game on Wake Street. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I mean, you are under 30 years old and I know like my parents listen to my podcast, of course. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they have no idea who you are. Um, but to give them a little bit of like background or, I mean, I'm talking with Batuli Kamara and she has started her own foundation in Wake. She has won an ESPY award, correct? Honoree. <laughs> okay. But they gave you like a $15,000 grant or something like that to go towards your foundation. Okay. You are on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And yeah, you've written this book. Am I missing something? You've done the TEDx talk. So people can go online and look up TEDx Batuli Kamara and listen to all of that. By the way, you looked great. Those heels were incredible. <laughs> My feet, yeah, were not thanking me after that. <laughs> I mean, for, like, as well as I've been overseas now in my free time when I'm cooking, cleaning, whatever, lots of times I'll put on a TED talk. And then all of a sudden to see somebody that I kind of know giving their own talk was really like, wow, you know, because you're young, you're up there. Um, what was that experience like? Just real quick, like, did that take place at UConn? Yes, that took place at UConn. And it was, it was such a beautiful moment for me because it felt like my truth. And I remember that the first talk I was going to do was completely different. And I have an amazing mentor. And she said, Batuli, tell them about your trip to Guinea. You have not been the same. And again, these moments of reassurance from people who, who love you and who know you. And it was like, I'm going to talk about Guinea. And um, it was just a lot of preparation, a 13-minute speech to, to memorize. You memorized that thing. Yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, I completely blanked on one section. But um, the, the biggest part of that was it always felt like the first time I was saying it. 
every time I'd read it, it felt like the first time. And I haven't felt that. And I've wanted to do other, you know, TEDx talks, but it just didn't feel like that. And I, and my, my, my really good friend would always say, speak when you feel compelled to speak, um, because it will feel like the truth and it will be the truth and, and people will receive it that way. And um, I think that's what it was. It was just this epic journey of, of me and looking at myself and mirrors of my life and my introduction to sport and how hard it was and now being on the other side of that and saying, oh my goodness, if my support system, my brothers and family members didn't fight for me to be here, my mom said, no, that would have been it, you know? And so now that fighting that and being able to have young girls who want to look up and saying, I know how difficult it is to have a dream and to not feel like you can have the opportunity to fight for it. And that's what one of the girls said to me. I just want an opportunity to fight for my dreams. I don't want you to give it to me. Just give me the opportunity to fight for it. And I think that's that's what was the driving force. And I think that was a, the accumulation of that, that TED Talk and what people saw in that. Wow. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a little girl in Guinea, you know, and I, I can't because I really have no idea. But um, just to be able to fight for what she to have that right, you know, um, something that maybe we take for granted. Um, okay. A couple rapid fire questions before I take up too much of your time. Um, what jersey (laughs) do you wear and why? I wear number 11 because that's when I started playing basketball. (laughs) Okay. At 11 years old. Okay. Good enough. Good enough. Um, when you, this is your first year playing overseas, so I'm not sure you did or not, but when you came over, did you bring any special like food product or anything from home that you thought you weren't going to be able to find here in Spain? I did bring tea. I just brought tea and I don't, it's not like I, I didn't think I could find it here. I still haven't found it here. Um, but it was, it was a particular like ginger and honey tea that I love to drink. That was the only thing because everything else got left back in the States. My bag was too heavy. So tea. All right. Um, And we are playing against each other in like less than 48 hours. But um, what would you say is your bread and butter go-to move? Or maybe you feel like you can't tell me. I don't know. (laughs) I, I feel like definitely a right, a right hook, right hook. Okay, post move, right hook. Right hook for like a trail three. Those are, I think, my my two. Okay, (laughs) nice, nice. A little inside, outside. Um, Is there a favorite Spanish word that you've learned this year or maybe even a Spanish word that is extremely difficult for you to say and for the life of you, you just can't pronounce it? I love um, the word um, vamos, you know, like, Vamos, like that just yes, like we we always say that. Um I don't know. The word that's hard. I can't, I can't, I probably don't know it. That's why I can't even think of it because I don't know it at all. But probably so many of them. Yeah. All right. Um, and this year you're playing in Bimbibre, Spain, and you come from New York. So for all your New Yorkers out there, could you explain to them a little bit about uh, what Bembibre is and the differences maybe that you, your day-to-day, what you see um, and your environment is compared to New York, but because they're just a tad different. Just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> Bembibre is like going to upstate New York 
And that's, and just being around the same community every, every day, you know, very, very small town, um, very community-based. So like I said, you're going to be around the same people uh, for seven months and, and you, you build community, kind of get to know each other very quickly. Um, you will get to know the city pretty quickly in about a day or two, if you choose to, to do so. Um, but, but definitely very, very, uh, small compared to the city. So for my New Yorkers in the city, just go upstate and, and that's how you picture it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't realize that upstate New York was maybe more like that. Um, and I should have looked it up online, but I want to say there's what, like maybe 10,000 people in Bembibre, maybe less. I think less. I'm pretty confident. I think less. Yeah. It's a pretty small town. Um, but the basketball court and the gym is actually really nice. Um, yes. And it's unfortunate that we're in the pandemic right now because other years when I've played in Bembibre, they actually get a decent amount of fans and their fans really support their women's basketball team. Um, so I'm, have you played with fans there this year or has it always been? Yeah, Bembibre is just under 9,000 people for the population, um, just, just in terms of the specificity. And, and we have had fans, and that was the first thing that they said to us. They said, this is a small town, but you will feel every single one of its members. And that what has proved to be true time and time again. And just people with such pride, you know, and this is who I am and this is what I represent and this is where I'm from. You know, no town too big or no town too small. And that has just been so amazing for me. And, and so, yes, feeling every single person in Mbibre, um at those games uh, is something that is definitely, definitely special. Okay. And then last question, is there any... Um like cultural nuance that you would like to see in Spain from the US and vice versa? Like, is there anything that you like from your experience in Spain that you would like to be able to bring back with you to New York? I said, um, you know, the other day someone someone asked me this and I said, in in America, we we take breaks. In Spain, they relax. I said, there's a difference. And I think we need to learn to relax, you know, just relax. Uh, we take quick breaks and we go back to work, but, but is our work really productive? And so I, I think we need to just learn how to relax um, and, and relax when you're relaxing and not think about where you have to go, but just that moment. And so I would definitely, I hope I can bring that to the States. I don't know how long, how long it would last, but that's definitely one thing I would bring back to the States. Um, and one thing that I bring from the States here is a large coffee, larger coffee. You know, the coffee is so small and I'm just like, why do I feel like I need two cups? And it's like, we just, you know, just eat too much. But um, that I definitely yeah. large coffees. <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, and I lied. If I can ask you one more question and if you can talk about it, um, yes. you're going to be starting a new chapter in your life soon. And I, I did see it on Instagram. So then maybe you can talk about it but you have decided to go back to Blair Academy and be the head coach. Yes. Yes. It, it is life full circle. You know, a boarding school I was thinking about going to again, like how beautiful is that? Like I was thinking about going to, and it was difficult to get into and then going there and just having such a transformative experience. And now to go back and to say, you know, I want my life to be rooted in service. You know, I think my purpose is to empower young girls to sport no matter where that is. And now to, finally live that experience out where it started for me 
it's just something I still haven't been able to, you know, wrap my head around, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I'm so thankful for them um, seeing that in me when I was 14 and now 10 years later, going back uh, to, to, to do, you know, what, what they did for me is just something that is, is absolutely incredible. Well, so I'm very, very excited. And uh, to figure out kind of coach I'll be, you know, I got to figure out my power pose, you know, oh my goodness, I'm about all these random things. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> but I'm definitely excited about it. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I don't even, we don't even really know each other, know each other, but no, we do. we're connected, we're connected, we're connected. <laughs> but I am so proud of you for taking that step and putting yourself out there and doing it. And I just think that those girls are going to be, they're so fortunate to have you as a coach, to have you as a role model, um, and I think as the years go on, like we're seeing more and more females getting into coaching, um, giving back, being those role models. And I'm just so excited about where our future is going as female athletes. So um, congratulations. You know, that's it's so great. Thank you. But uh, Kamara, thank you so much for your time once again, and um, best of luck with all your future endeavors. I will be following you, and um, yeah, we'll see each other. We'll see each other on Saturday. Yes, yes, and I'll, and I'll be following you as well, and, and thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this and to amplify voices. You know, I followed your stories and the work that you do. I know it's not easy, um, but I think just, you know, women supporting women is so important, so thank you so much for all that you do. Um, tough, tough, tough competitor. So we'll, we'll see about this game on Saturday. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. We'll get some sleep and I will see you on the court. All right. Sounds good. Take care. And in a sweet and condensed form, those are the paths that Batuli Kamara took, both academically and athletically. Batuli has done a magnificent job balancing, pursuing, and in the end, weaving together the best of both worlds, turning her passion into her career. And when your passion is your work, well, your work doesn't feel like work. This is where I start to get emotional, clap, and fist pump. As I reflected on my time spent talking with Batuli, I couldn't help but walk away thinking how mature she is for her age and how her forward thinking helped her to accomplish her goals. While in school at UConn, she would make appointments weeks or months in advance, which would give her the time to organize, plan, and keep up with all her other responsibilities as a student athlete. This is where we insert another round of applause. Okay which really opens my eyes and makes me think, yes, anything is possible if you learn how to maximize your time and prioritize what's most important in your day-to-day -day life. Like Batuli said, she stopped watching television, she stopped going on social media, and she literally narrowed her day-to-day -day down to what was most important. Anyway, I just can't get over how phenomenal this young woman is and to think that she is just getting started. And with that, I bid you all farewell. I hope we've been able to keep you company over the last 50 minutes or so, as you've been, I don't know, maybe painting the walls in the basement, exercising, or getting your garden bed ready for the spring. And if you have the time, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Your positive feedback will help get the word out to future listeners. And these stories of these amazing athletes are worth a listen. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego.